2 Peter chapter 1. We said um, last week that this book, the book of 2 Peter, is a book that is concerned about us and our knowledge of God. It's a book in which Peter wants to urge the churches to grow in their knowledge of God. That's the, the big theme throughout the entire letter as we read it. But the question, I guess, then, for us is, how do we know God? And how can we know that what we know of God is true? How can we know that what we know of God is sufficient enough? We, we live in a culture where there's many different ideas about who God is and what God is like. So how can we be confident that what we know about God is true? Well, this is the big topic I think that Peter is going to tackle tonight. So let's read it to Peter chapter 1. We're going to read from verse uh, 12 through to the end of the chapter. Peter writes to the church, Therefore I intend always to remind you of these qualities, though you know them and are established in the truth that you have. I think it right, as long as I am in this body, to stir you up by way of reminder, since I know that the putting off of my body will be soon, as our Lord Jesus Christ made clear to me. And I will make every effort so that after my departure you may be able at any time to recall these things. For we did not follow cleverly devised myths when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. But we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. For when he received honour and glory from God the Father and the voice was borne to him by the majestic glory, this is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. We, are, we ourselves heard this very voice born from heaven, for we were with him on the holy mountain. And we have the prophetic word more fully confirmed, to which you will do well to pay attention, as to a lamp shining in a dark place, until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. Knowing this first of all, that no prophecy, prophecy of scripture comes from someone's own interpretation. For no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man. But men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. And that's God's word. Now on the back of your service sheet I've got an outline which may or may not be helpful uh, as we look through uh, this passage. Um, Previously in 2 Peter what we saw last week was that, that Peter said for us as Christians... We have all that we need to live a godly life. So when you come to follow Jesus, you get the Holy Spirit living in you. So God himself comes to take residence in you. We have the DNA of God in us. And aspects of God's character change us. And Peter said at the start of his letter that if we want to be godly, then that's it. We've got it inside us. And the way we unleash, the way we unlock The resource that God has given us to be godly is by growing in our knowledge of him. So the more that we know God, the more that you know Jesus, the more that will change you. And Peter said to us that true Christians are those who are constantly changing, constantly growing in godliness. There should never really be anything like a stagnant Christian. We should be making every effort to grow in our knowledge of God and in doing so grow in our godliness. 
So when we pick up the reading here in verse 12, when Peter says that he intends always to remind us of these qualities, that's exactly what he's talking about. He intends to remind us, to remind the church that they need to grow in their knowledge of God. They need to grow in their understanding of the gospel. They need to grow in their understanding of Jesus' identity. And if you look at these verses, uh, in these first three verses, look at how many times Peter mentions that. He says at the start, therefore I intend always to remind you of these qualities. He says at the end of verse 13, I want to stir you up by way of reminder. Verse 15 at the end, he says that you may be able at any time to recall these things. So when we read to Peter, this is his, this is his passionate plea. For the church, this is what he wants for this church. He wants them to remember the gospel. This is what he will tell them with every breath that he has in his body. And there are two things really in these verses that are really striking and that should cause us to, to take heed and to listen to Peter's forceful reminders. Firstly, notice um, in verse 12 that this is a church that already knows the gospel. So do you see that in verse 12? He says, though you know them, you know these qualities, you know what I'm talking about. And more than that, he says, you're established in the truth that you have. So this is a church that knows Jesus. This is a church that knows the gospel. This is a church that is strong, that is firmly established in the truth. And secondly, we need to be aware that what we see in these verses is the passionate plea Of an apostle who is about to die. So he says verse 13. I think it right as long as I am in this body. To stir you up by way of reminder. Since I know that the putting off of my body will be soon. As our Lord Jesus Christ has made clear to me. So the apostle Peter. Says with all the earnestness of a man approaching his death. That this is what the church desperately needs. This strong church needs to know the gospel. This church that already already knows the gospel needs to be constantly reminded of it. And Peter says that he is going to do that till the day he dies. In fact, he goes above and beyond that. He says he's going to make sure that even after he is dead, people are reminding this church of the gospel. So the question then for us is... Why? Why is it that Peter has this earnest plea for a strong church? And the reason is because we forget. Very simply, we forget the gospel. We saw this we saw this last week that the reason that we don't grow in good and the reason we don't grow in godliness, sorry, is not because we lack the resources to change. It's because we forget the gospel. That's what hinders us. And what you see actually when when you read through the Bible is that the biblical authors are constantly concerned that Christians will forget even the most basic gospel truths. Now what does this mean? Because I I actually don't, don't think Peter is concerned that they will forget how the gospel works. But this this kind of forgetfulness I think it's something a lot more subtle. It's not, it's not forgetting how it works. But it's forgetting it in a way that doesn't impact your lives 
day to day. It's forgetting it in a way that, that, that doesn't affect you, that doesn't change you. So, thinking of an example of this kind of forgetfulness, I know, for example, um, that having a kebab all the time is not good for me. I know that. I know that information. I know that fact. I won't forget that. But even though I know that, it doesn't stop me eating a lot of kebabs. In fact, I'm pretty sure I'm going to have a kebab after the service tonight. Um, This kind of forgetfulness, this kind of forgetfulness I think that Peter's talking about, is not about forgetting the information of what you know. It's about not attending to the information you know. See, I I can know the facts of the gospel but not let those facts change the way I live. So for example, I can, know that, I can know that Jesus died for my sins. And I am no longer condemned. I can know that as, as an absolute fact. Something that I've heard since I was a child. But if I know that. And I find that every time that, that I do wrong. Every time I, I sin. I'm weighed down constantly by, by guilt. And by fear that God could never accept me then I don't really know that truth. I can know, like we said last week, that it's really important to grow in godliness. And if we don't grow in godliness, it could be something seriously wrong. I can know that fact. But over the week, I could have done nothing about it. I can know the facts of the gospel, but not have them in a way that is life-changing. Where the gospel just becomes almost conceptual, like it's an idea, but it's not something that is real. It's not something that affects the way I live. And I said this last week, but I think it's important to say it again. Remembering, knowing Christ and his gospel is not merely about remembering how it works, but it's about living each day as if it were really true. You see, Satan's main attack against a Christian will be to get them to forget the truths of the gospel, to forget the assurance that comes from the gospel, to forget the wonders of the gospel. And I think that if that happens, if we start to forget the gospel, if it becomes almost merely just cerebral, if it becomes a a cold, stale, kind of formulaic thing, when that happens, eventually you just grow indifferent to it, and it drifts from being the, the controlling point of your life to just becoming a peripheral part of your identity. And I, I've seen this happen to people. where The gospel was once in the driving seat. And then it just became another spoke in the wheel of their existence. And eventually, if that continues, it will slip away from being of any importance. And other worldly concerns will come up and choke it out completely. We said last week that Peter writes this letter because he's worried that there are some Christians who are on the edge and who could fall away. And so he wants to remind them of the gospel. That's why he's going to make every effort until the grave to remind the church of the gospel. And that means for us as Christians that we should never ever tire of our knowledge of God. We should never tire of what we know about the gospel. It's a worrying sign if you think that you know everything that you need to know about Christ and his gospel. You see, the true Christian should never be satisfied with what they know of Jesus. But there's a problem 
for the church that peers right into this problem that we face today. And that is, there are all these different views of God flying about. So this is the church that he's writing to. They're getting information from different sources about how they can know God, about what God is like. And it would have seemed to them very confusing. So how can we be sure that what we know is true? If what we need is to remind ourselves of the truth of the gospel, then we need to be confident that what we have is sufficient and is trustworthy. And I think that is why Peter goes on to talk about what he does in verses 16 through to 21 there in the text. And let me just be clear for us, and just to tell you where we're going with this, and what I think Peter's saying. What we know about God as Christians, all of it comes from this book. It's from the Bible. That is how we can know God. That is how we can understand the gospel. That's how we remind ourselves of the gospel so that it doesn't become stale or cold. It's here and here alone in this Bible is how we can know God. And I actually think that um, Peter is going to defend the truth of that, the truth of the scripture in these verses. So in verse 16 through to 18, he shows us that, that what he taught the church is grounded in the truth of the Apostles' witness. The Apostles' witness is what we could call the New Testament of the Bible. And secondly, in verses 19 to 21, he's going to show the church how that witness is grounded in the truth of the prophetic word, as he phrases it, which is really just another way of talking about the Old Testament of the Bible. So firstly, we can have confidence that what we know about God from this book is true and sufficient because it's grounded in the truth of the Apostles' witness. Peter says there, he begins saying, Look, we did not follow cleverly devised myths when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. See, what's the best way that we could know what God is like? Well, the best way that we could understand God, that we could know him, would be if God himself came down to us and spoke to us. And that's exactly what he did in the person of Jesus. Jesus Christ is God come down to us, the Son of God, the perfect representation of his being. But how can we know then what Jesus is like? Well, it has to come from those whom Jesus himself chose to tell the world about him. And that's the apostles. These men were with Jesus. They were taught by Jesus. They were commissioned by Jesus to go out and to tell the world about him. So that the world could know God. So that the world could know the gospel and what it's about. And Peter is saying here that this is something that he saw with his own eyes. It's not something that him and his friends got in in a room together and decided to come up with some sort of feel-good story. This is something that is real and that he witnessed. Not only was he an eyewitness, uh, he was an earwitness. He heard this. He heard these events. He saw these events. And I think that this is one of the things that really makes the Christian gospel unique. I think this is one of the things that makes the, the, the Christian claim to know God unique. 
You see, what we know about God is not founded on some private revelation uh, that an individual received. This knowledge, this message is grounded in history and is attested by many eyewitnesses. Peter's saying it's not a myth. He's saying that, that, that our understanding of God is not the result of clever headwork of, of a few individuals, but it's based upon real historical observations. And what's interesting about the, the, what the eyewitness testimony that he talks about in these verses is that he talks about this event called the Transfiguration, um, which, to be honest, is a, it's a very strange event. That happens. It's what uh, Laura read to us earlier from Mark's gospel. Jesus is up a mountain. He, he starts glowing white. And then he starts speaking to two dead guys. Moses and Elijah. And Peter's there. He witnesses this. He sees this. Uh, he thinks I'm going to build a tent. I'm going to build a tabernacle uh, for all three of these guys. And then he gets interrupted by this voice booming from the clouds. Saying this is my son whom I am pleased Listen to him. It's a strange event. And because it's quite strange, because it is supernatural, it's tempting to dismiss it. But Peter says, don't do that. I saw this. I heard, I heard the voice of God himself confirm the identity of Jesus as God's son. Now why... Why is it that, that Peter talks about this event? Why does he not talk about the resurrection, for example, or, or even the ascension of Jesus? Well, I think it probably has something to do with the context that Peter is writing to. Um, you see, one of, the, one of the bits of the false knowledge that was going about the church, about God, um, was this idea that, that Jesus wouldn't come back. Um, so that's what the false teachers were saying in the church. They were saying, the apostles told you that Jesus is going to come back, that he's going to bring judgment. Um, it's been 30 years now. Jesus isn't coming back. That was just a myth that the apostles made up. And this is something Peter really goes on to tackle head on in chapter 3. But I think here in recording this event, he is trying to assure his readers that Jesus will come again. You see, when he says there that, that we made known to you the power and the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. The word used for, for coming there is the Greek word parousia, which is often used in the New Testament. In fact, all throughout the New Testament, it's used to refer to the second coming of Jesus. And the transfiguration for Peter is a picture of Jesus' second coming. So in essence, Peter's saying to the church, look, when I taught you, when I said to you that Jesus is going to come back, that he's going to judge humanity. It wasn't just something I made up. This is something that I saw. I got to see a glimpse of it. It really is going to happen. You can trust me. What I teach, what we saw, was true. And then to back up that, to reinforce and to put steel into their witness, into their testimony, Peter says... That all that they witness, all they teach, is confirmed by the prophetic word. That's what we see in verses 19 to 21. He writes, And we have the prophetic word more fully confirmed, to which you would do well to pay attention, as to a lamp shining in a dark place, until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. Now, the prophetic word is really just another term 
for the authors of the Old Testament. So Peter's saying that the Old Testament was filled with all those prophecies, was pointing forward to what we witnessed and confirmed what we witnessed. Look at that. If you're doubting what the apostles say, read your Old Testament. Because what the apostles testified to, what they saw in Jesus Christ, was the confirmation of everything that had been promised in the Old Testament. A couple of weeks ago, we tried, myself and Robin, tried the very difficult task of um, uh, teaching kids the entire storyline of the Bible. And uh, Robin, being kind as he was, gave me the great task of trying to teach the Old Testament to them in five minutes. Um, And I took ten, I think, but that's okay because it was a tough gig. But one of the things we were saying, that we were trying to get the kids to see, is that the Old Testament is all about God's promises, the promises he makes. And the pictures that he gives in the Old Testament through the nation of Israel, through the temple, through sacrifices, they're all pictures of promises. And we want the kids to see that in the New Testament, that is God's promises kept and fulfilled through Jesus Christ. So we can have confidence that the Old Testament is true because we've seen the fulfillment of the Old Testament. It's pointing forward to the coming salvation that Jesus Christ brought and that the apostles witnessed. And Peter, really just to strike a hammer blow to the false teaching that is so prevalent in his time and in our time, says that this word, this scripture, is not merely just just history recorded by individuals. But look at what he writes in verse 20. Knowing this, first of all, that no prophecy of scripture comes from someone's own interpretation for no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit so the scripture literally in Greek it's the writings are the very words of God men spoke and and they wrote the words of the Bible using their own God-given style and personality but carried along by the Spirit of God so that what they wrote what we read in the Bible is exactly what God wants to say to us today. Notice how he phrases it. It's not just people's interpretations of events. This is not subjective. The scripture, the Bible, the word of God has an objective singular meaning that is set by God himself. So when we have Bible study and we look at the Bible and people can say, well, this is what it means for me, this is what I get from it, this is what it means for me, that can be good in some cases. But actually, Peter's saying it's not subjective. There's a singular meaning that God is trying to convey to us as he speaks to us. And what's pretty cool, I noticed from studying this letter, um, if we look down, look at chapter 3, verse 15. So he says that the Old Testament, he's talking about the Old Testament here, was written by God, um, scriptures inspired, word of God. But just to assure you that the New Testament is also scripture, Peter writes, and count the patience of our Lord's salvation, just as our beloved brother Paul also wrote to you according to the wisdom wisdom given to him, as he does in all his letters when he speaks in them of these matters. There are some things in them, that are hard to understand. Now that is a very reassuring statement for anyone who's read the Apostle Paul's letters. Peter didn't understand a lot of what Paul wrote. 
There are some things in them that are hard to understand, which the ignorant and unstable twist to their own destruction. And notice what Peter writes, as they do the other scriptures. See, the apostles witness the New Testament. The prophetic word, the Old Testament, is the inspired word of God. The infallible word of God. God wants to be known. He is there. He is not silent. He has made himself known. And if we want to know God, it is by this book. If we want to remind ourselves of the gospel and not be cold and stale and indifferent to it, it is by digging deeper into this book. Peter is saying, grow in your knowledge of God. Remember the gospel. But the only way you can do that is by being steeped in your Bible. Now what do we, what do we do with something like this? I know that for some of us, this could be, uh, this could be a, a brand new idea completely. And if what Peter is saying here is true, then, and you're investigating Christianity, then this is the place to begin. This is how you investigate it. All that we teach as a church, all that we know about the gospel, comes from here. And if you've not read the Bible before, I would just encourage you to read it. To start somewhere like a gospel, like Mark or John's gospel. Read about the life of Jesus. Read what these eyewitnesses wrote about Jesus. But I think though for a lot of us here tonight, I think a lot of us probably don't need convincing that the Bible is true and that it's the word of God. I'm sure there's a lot of us who would agree with that. But I think this is where we've got to be careful. And we've got to come back to what Peter was saying at the start. You see, we can know that the Bible is true and God's authoritative word, but not act on that knowledge. Do we really believe what the psalmist says? That this book is more precious than gold and sweeter than honey do we, do we live like that? Are we at the point where we can say to God, Lord, take anything away from me, but do not take your word, do not take your Bible from me. It is more precious than anything I own. See, if we know that the Bible is true and we're confident, if we know that it's truly God's word and what we need to grow in our knowledge of him, then why do we so often get bored of it? And neglect to read it. If we know that this truth is what we need for, for godliness, why is it that we very rarely dip into it, perhaps even just once a week when we're at church? If we know that the Bible is truly God's word and it contains his power, why do we struggle to sit down with a friend and read it with them so that they can know this God? It's so easy to forget the truth. And I find that this is something that I often forget and often struggle with. Um, struggling to get up each morning to spend time uh, in God's word. To, to, to let the truth of God's word change me. And you can often read it and I find I often just read it in a very blasé manner. It almost becomes ritualistic. Where if I read my Bible, that's fine. I close it up and then that's me for the rest of the day. I'm sorted. I've ticked that box. But it's about letting the truth of who God is sink deeper into our lives. And I remember one minister 
saying, and I found it very helpful advice, so I'll just share it with you, that when, because I, I found that when I read the Bible, I often forget what I've read that morning and uh, can't remember it. But he said that when he reads his Bible each morning, to try and embed the truths of what he's learned about God into his life that day, he'll constantly pray about what he's read about God throughout the day. So even just taking two minutes aside at lunchtime, he'll think back to what he read that morning and pray those truths back to God. And I found that quite a helpful way of of trying to ingrain what we know about God into our lives, into our day-to-day lives. And we can help each other do this. I was saying last week, it's surprising how... um, how little we often talk about the gospel when it's the most important thing in our lives. Um, why not, just throughout the week or in our small groups, talk about what it is we've been learning about God from the Bible, share what we've been learning about God, help each other uh, to, to get deeper into this word. You see, there's something about the way Peter writes here as well that's quite striking that we can't ignore Notice that his language is really emotive. He he wants people to have an encounter with the glory and the majesty of Christ that he witnessed. He he wants the the church to pay attention to the scripture. Do you see that in in verse 19? Um, He says, you would do well to pay attention. And he's got this great poetic uh, phrase. As to a lamp shining in a dark place until the day dawns. And the morning star rises in your heart. You see, when you come to spend time with God in his word. And really strive to remind yourself of the gospel. It lifts the fog of confusion. It helps us to to walk in the right way. Like like a lamp leading us in the darkness. Provides meaning. It provides direction. It provides purpose. But more than that. This book draws us closer to Jesus. And Peter says the morning star will rise in your hearts. It's a reference to Jesus. Interestingly, it's from an Old Testament prophecy in the book of Numbers. He's saying Jesus. Jesus is this morning star. Jesus is what you know from this word. And if you stick with it, Jesus is what you will get. And the more you know him, the more you will want to be with him. See, why is this more precious than gold? Why is this Bible sweeter than honey? Why is it that that people like Jen go into different countries to translate this message into languages so that people can understand? It's not because it tells us how to live. It's not that it's just basic information before leaving earth. It's so precious and it's so heartwarming because it's about Christ. Knowing him... It's not about knowing some kind of distant entity. But it's about coming into a relationship with the creator of the universe. The one we were made for. And the more you spend time in his word, the more you will know him. The bigger he will become in your life. Until at last we do see the morning star. And all his glory and majesty. This is how we remind ourselves of the wonders of the gospel. It's this book that beats the truth of the gospel from our heads down to our hearts and transforms our lives. Let me just close with an illustration from C.S. Lewis from Chronicles of Narnia. 
Um, in the fourth book, um, Prince Caspian, I think it is, Lucy, who's the little girl in the book, she's one of the main characters in the book, um, she is looking for the great lion Aslan. And for those of you who know the books, Aslan is written really as an allegory of Jesus. And when she does spot him, Lewis writes this. He writes, and then, oh joy, for he was there, the huge lion shining white in the moonlight with his huge black shadow underneath him. But for the movement of his tail, he might have been a stone lion. But Lucy never thought of that. She never stopped to think whether he was a friendly lion or not. She rushed to him. She felt her heart would burst if she lost a moment. And the next thing she knew, she was kissing him and putting her arms as far around his neck as she could and burying her face in the beautiful, rich silkiness of his mane. Aslan, Aslan, dear Aslan, sobbed Lucy, at last. The great beast rolled over on his side so that Lucy fell, half sitting and half lying between his front paws. He bent forward and just touched her nose with his tongue. His warm breath came all around her. She gazed up at the large, wise face. Welcome, child, he said. Aslan, said Lucy, you're bigger. That is because you are older, little one, answered he. Not because you are? I am not. But every year you grow, you will find me bigger. You see, if we are daily in God's word, daily in it, Jesus doesn't change, but our knowledge and our understanding of him will. He will seem bigger and more wonderful the more we grow as Christians. Until like Lucy, you'll feel your heart would burst if you lost any moment without him. If we are going to take what Peter says here seriously. If we are going to take this dying apostle's plea For the church seriously. Then we need to start taking the Bible very seriously. We need to keep this word central. And in the driving seat of our lives. So that we will not fall away. So that we can have that bigger view of Christ. That will increase until the day dawns. And the morning star rises in our hearts. Let's pray. Father thank you. You're very clear that you want to be known and that you have made yourself known. Thank you, Lord, that we have the apostolic witness. We have the testimony of eyewitnesses who were there, who saw and witnessed your son, Jesus, and all the amazing things that he did. Lord, thank you that they wrote it down. And as they wrote their testimony, it was not merely just history they were writing, but it was you by your spirit inspiring the scriptures. Thank you that the Old Testament confirms the truth of the New Testament and the New Testament confirms the promises and truth of the Old Testament. Thank you, Lord, that it is true. But Lord, help us to to not let that, that fact just go in one ear and out the other, but help us to live our lives as if your word really is true. We have the the words of The one who created the entire universe. Who calls humanity to come to him. To be saved and to be reconciled. Father may we never treat your Bible lightly. May we never treat it in a blasé way. But may we strive with every fibre of our being. To to know you better. By spending more time in your word. 
And Father, we pray that you would help us to help each other to spend time in your word, to learn more about you and to know you. Lord, we know that this is the Apostles' plea for us. And we pray, Father, that you would indeed help us to do that so that Christ may be honoured and glorified in all that we say and do. In Jesus' name, amen.